Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Christians United Ministry. My name is Travis, and today we're getting right back into it with Revelations chapter 2. I know I've been really consistent, guys. I have a lot going on. I keep promising to get better, but I am trying. But let's just go right into it because we got Revelations 2 coming today, possibly Revelations 3. If not today, definitely tomorrow. And we got some pretty exciting, important information in today's chapter. Um, so what we're going to do today is a little different than I normally do. Today's, first of all, today's uh, episode is brought to you by Bible Ref. That's why I use my explanation. It's not brought to you. It's not sponsored. So don't get that wrong. But it's I use, I'm using my uh, my explanation, uh, com rather, to get an explanation of Revelations chapter 2 because there is a lot, a lot, a lot of information here that you will miss if you don't listen. I'm going to pause here and there to kind of give you, hey, look, remember what we just said. Um, and then after we're done with that, I'm going to give you the chapter um, chapter explanation. But this chapter requires so much explanation. I'm going to pick out some very interesting um, verses and I'm going to give you, and we're going to go over an explanation of those specific verses. All right, so let's get right into it. We're going to Revelations chapter 2, verse 1. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, These things saith that he holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, he who walked in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know I know thou were thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil and thou hast cast them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars and hast borne and hast patience for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted nevertheless I will say I will have I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlesticks out of his place, except thou who repent. And thou, and this, but this thou hast that thou hast the de- hates the deeds of the Nicolaitan, Nicolaitans. I've been practicing that all day, guys, by the way. Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that has an ear, let him hear the spirit saith unto the churches to him that overcometh will i give to eat of the tree of life where do we hear that from tree of life which is in the midst of paradise of god and unto the angel of the church in simra write these things saith the first and the last which are was dead and is alive i know thy works in tribulation and poverty but thou art rich and I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Remember that. For no, fear none of the, those things which thou shalt offer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into the prison, that he might be listening, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days be thou faithful unto death and I will give thee a crown of life gotta remember every one of those words he that hath an ear let him hear what the spirit saith unto the churches 
He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos, write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword, sword with two edges. I know thy works, and where thou dwell, dwellest, even where Satan is. And thou holdest my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that, told, that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who told, taught, excuse me, taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will fight against thee with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, I will give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth. And unto the angel of the church and Thyatira write, These say, things saith the Son of God, who has his eyes like unto a flame, of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works in charity and service and faith, and thy patience and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest a woman Jezebel, which called herself a prophetess. Why can't I say that? Prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornications and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they re repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searches the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you I say, and unto the rest of Theorita, the Tira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the death of Satan, as we speak, I will put upon you none other burden, but that which ye have already hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my words unto the end, to him I will give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a plotter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I receive my father, and I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. We got a lot of good information there. A lot of really good information and like <laughs> whoo really good let's go into the explanation of the, the chapter as a whole in the first chapter of Revelation John introduces reason for writing a direct commandment from Jesus Christ he was instructed to record Jesus' words aimed at each, each of seven churches in Asia Minor and to faithfully record them 
Each church is given a unique description of Jesus, a command and a promise. Six of the churches are given specific praise. One is not. Five are given direct criticism. Two are not. This chapter contains Christ's words to four of these seven. Ephesus, Simra, Sim, Sim, Smira. Nah, am I saying that wrong? Peg, <laughs> Pergamum, and Thyra. Thyra. Chapter three will complete this this series of messages. The church in Ephesus is commended for hard work and for weeding out false prophets despite persecution. They are also praised for opposing the teachings of a particular sect, the Nicolo- Nicolodian. Nicolaitans. <laughs> Not much is known about this group. Some scholars believe they held uh, to doctrine of immortality. Others that they felt the church leaders ought to rule over the laity. At the same time, the Ephesian church is criticized for being loveless. Their efforts are good, but they are slipping into coldness and religious religiousity rather than Christian love. Smyrna's church suffered under especially brutal prosecution. According to Jesus' words in this message, that experience is going to become worse before it gets better. A significant challenge for this congregation is a group of hostile Jewish leaders referred to here as a synagogue of Satan. Samurai is praised for holding fast despite this hardship. This is one of only two churches which Jesus did not criticize in some way in his messages. In the, in the name of the city, Pergamum, is related to terms which used, which is used for marriage. Coincidentally, Jesus' criticism of the church focuses on their inappropriate connections to false teachings such as the Balaam and the Nicolaitans. They are praised for resisting persecution, holding to their faith even when under threat. This Their situation was certainly dire as Jesus refers to their locations as where Satan dwells. Thyatira was a city deeply involved in worship of Apollo, a pagan deity of the sun, and a child of Zeus. In this passage, Jesus described in terms deliberately overshadowing Apollo's status and glory. This church is commended for their ever-growing participation in, in good works, However, they are strongly rebuked for tolerating sexual temptations and idolatry is promoted by a particular woman. This person is identified as Jezebel, which might be a reference to the Old Testament queen of the same name since she refused to repent of sin. Jesus promises to bring fierce judgment on her and her followers. So that, we got a lot of, one thing I wanted to point out outside of what uh, Bible reference is actually uh, indicating is look how um, when you read these words plainly, like, you know, you don't really need any. It's not, it's not really a hidden message. He's pointing out seven churches, right? He's but he's pointing out good things about them and bad things about them. And the one thing I kind of wanted to mention was you could think about it also as that there is just because a place calls them a church doesn't mean they're a great church or a good church or that is 
or that Jesus loves him. He says he said to Simra, I hate this. She called it the synagogue of Satan. So we got to be careful. Even though we go to a church, we got to make sure that the church we go to is worthy of Jesus' name. He, even though they do good things, even though they might do great things, they still have things wrong with them. This is the house of God. It should be perfect. So that's what's important. That's one thing I wanted to mention before we go any further into the chapter. In verse 1, John portrays Jesus as holding the angels of the seven churches in his right hand and walking among the seven golden lampstands. Um, and we also got to remember it's seven candlesticks for seven churches. It's important to kind of note that. Um, now, um, we go to verse 2. Jesus is commending the church at Ephesus for its diligent work and patience and suffering. The Ephesians church, Ephesian church existed in the midst of a mixture of Greek and Oriental cultures. Um, Orientals um, like Asian. Um, this is uh, included a variety of false religions. The worship of the fertility goddess Diana was rampant in um, Ephesus, and the temple in which her wor- worshippers adore her was one of the seven wonders of the world. Superstition and magical arts flourished through the region. It is not surprising, therefore, that the church of Ephesus experienced persecution, and you're going to see that a lot. Um, even now, even more and more, you're going to start seeing other religions going through society, but specifically Christians are being targeted. We're, we're the ones being outcast or, or um, persecuted, even a better word. Uh, but nevertheless, Ephesian Christians held their ground. They did not compromise the truth in order to be acceptable to the general population. Nor let's just score that right there. Like, you know, they did not give in to societal backlash or persecution, um, and that's something that's going on right now, as you can see. God and Jesus is being pushed. It's being pushed out of society. Look at they have anti-Semitic um, organizations within the government um, defending Jews. You know, if a Jew comes out or a Mormon or Buddhist comes out, the government's over, but a Christian comes out, no one's backing us up. We're being persecuted. And you can see this. I'm not afraid to say it because it's the truth. Is anybody here afraid to hear the truth? We're going to be pushed out. And this already happened, but they held their ground. We got to hold our ground. We got to stand up and unite no matter what happens. Nor did they tolerate evildoers. Their love of truth caused them to test those who profess to, the, profess to be apostles and to include the self-proclaimed apostles were false. Interesting, false teachers were threatening not only the church of Ephesus, but also the church of Simra and the church of Pergam and the church of Theatira. False teachers. God, be careful of them. They're everywhere. Everywhere. And while this commitment of truth is certainly commendable, the Ephesians were not applying it in an entirely positive way. And we're going to learn that in just a minute. 
the next verse, which is chapter uh, verse three, is um, going to give you my own explanation, uh, which is going says has patience and has born and has has labored. Um, you can kind of associate that with suffrage, right? They're going, they're, they're being tested and tried, but they have not fainted, which means they did not wear. That's basically what. Uh, the next verse means uh, going to four. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. And the saying is, it lacked one thing. And what was that thing? Love. And Bible Ref actually does a good job explaining this, but I'm also going to give you kind of. It's part of it says, what would a marriage be like if a wife performed all the duties? of a wife but without genuine love for her husband would she do it 100 percent? would they do it you know um would they do it because they want to do it or they do it because they have to do it or they just do it just to do it there's a difference here and my explanation is a little little different is i give i've been to some churches one of my things i like to do is um we as christians as catholics and christians have an obligation to go to church every week sometimes i can't make it to my church that i always go to so i i like to visit churches around um go to different churches and get a different feel and aspect um as i actually did today i actually went to a different church today um some priests i realize take it more of a job than a passion and a lifestyle and you can see them and you know uh, you can see them going like in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit and i get out of my church you know what I'm saying? You, you kind of get that vibe. Like, he doesn't want to be there. He doesn't have a passion for it. He doesn't love Christ. He's just collecting a paycheck if they even get one and getting out of there. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's not what a church is. When you walk into a church, you should feel God. I'm telling you, I've been to church. Every time I go to a good church, like the one I specifically go to, I walk in the doors and I can already feel God in there. When I walked in the first time, when I walked in that church, it I already felt off. You don't feel that presence. You don't feel that because you know, and, and and it was for good reason. Everything was the service was rushed. The yeah, they did everything boom, 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 boom. Like they didn't take any time, like you know, for anything. It was just like he was reading from a script. That's what I felt like, and. It's the same thing here. It's the comparison that they make is beautiful. It's like a wife just doing wifely duties, but without the love. Take the love out, and it's just a woman doing something for another person. That's not what a marriage is. Marriage is supposed to be more. He goes on in verse 5. Um, goes on in verse 5 to really to show the seriousness of love. And we got to remember, we've went over this plenty of times over the... Over the the uh, we actually had a whole podcast on love, but over our time of growing as a podcast, we learned more and more about how serious love actually is. Love isn't just hey, I love you. It's a feeling. It's in the heart. And he says we must have love. He said everything you're doing is great, whatever, yeah. But there's no love here. Remember, remember, he said before he says. Uh, those who don't know love don't know my father. And what he's saying is he's giving them a stern kind of warning here. He says, unless you change this and change, you, you got to fix it, bring, bring love into this. I will quickly, 
I will come quickly and remove that candlestick out of his place. Means he's going to take the church away. The candlestick is a church. Remember that. He's going to take the the church the church away. He's not. They're not going to be there anymore. He's not going to recognize it. He's not going to love it. He's not going to be in the midst of it. That's serious. One thing that we hear quite often is he hasn't hear. Let him hear. Let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give the, to eat the tree of life. Which remember where you get the tree of life from? Where is that from? Ah, there you go, Garden of Eden. But we're saying he that hear, let him hear what the Spirit means. Not many people are going to get understand what he's saying. Not many people are going to understand. That's why Revelation is such a tough chapter to understand. Is not everybody's going to understand it. So who has ears means true Christians, children of God, which is why we didn't go right into Revelations. We built our, our love and our faith in God before we came here because we got to be filled with God's word before we can truly grasp an understanding of Revelation. And we're already getting to very, very serious stuff. We're going to continue going. You're going to see some some very, very scary stuff coming quick quite shortly actually in this verse Jesus addresses the angel or messenger possibly the pastor of the church of Simra Jesus identifies himself as the first and the last the, this name reflects his external uh, eternal existence he created all things and he will exist forever. He will also identifies himself as having died and returned to life. This description points to his death by crucifixion and to resurrection. The church of Simra could relate to Jesus' identification because the city of Simra ceased to exist from the 7th to 3rd century BC, which experienced a kind of resurrection and came an alley of Rome. The designation of Jesus is eternal and the crucified and risen Lord will provide much encouragement to the believers at Simra in the face of their immense, intense persecution. Next verse, chapter, verse 9. I know thy works in tribulation and, and poverty, and thou art, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Synagogue of Satan. That's a scary word right there, man. Scary word. The name Simra is closely related to myrrh, which is a certain which certain plants are crushed and they emit a fragrance resin called myrrh, which is basically a perfume kind of like um, similarly, when the churches are and the church at Simra suffered, it produced a characteristic reaction. Jesus does not bring a single criticism against this church in his letter. Apparently, the suffering of his church, the testing of hardship, produces exactly the kind of result Christ expects from his followers. Through suffering, the church remained pure. In addition to its sufferings, the church at Simra experienced poverty. Like Rome had confiscated the Christians' poverty and goods, however, Jesus says they are rich and they had treasure in heaven. The believers 
at Simra were under attack not only from Rome, but also from militant apostate uh, Jews and from the devil himself. Jesus called this particular group a synagogue of Satan. This reference is very specific. Jesus is not referring to all Jews or all synagogues, but only to a specific faction which apparently plagued the churches of Simra and Philadelphia. We'll see that more in uh, Revelation 3, 3 verse 9. Um, Satan is mentioned in four of Jesus' seven letters. These references ought to increase our awareness of Satan's antagonism of believers. The apostle Peter urged, Be sober-minded, he is watchful. Your adversary, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. That's First Peter chapter 5, verces 8 through 9. And it's true. It's like the the devil is always watching, and he's not your friend. He's always watching, and he's waiting, he's looking, he's praying. He's not here to help you. He's here to hurt you. And it's extremely important that um, you see how they're being persecuted by militant Jews, right? People who are against Christianity, and. Uh, people who raise up as a Jewish, as the Jewish people. They're not, they're not really Jewish, they're not all Jewish. But the certain Jews are from the synagogue of Satan. And those are the violent ones. And you'll see that in life. And you'll see that. If you, you've probably already seen it, but now you're going to be made aware of it. Um, let's go to chapter 10. That's uh, not chapter, verse 10. That This is one of the scary ones I wanted that I pointed out while I was reading. In this verse, we learn that Jesus predicted further suffering for the church of Simra. Some of the believers would encounter imprisonment and death. The devil would be responsible for this hateful treatment. But Jesus told them that the believers not to fear. Early in his early ministry, Jesus had counsel. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Kind of he's relating to here. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Matthew chapter ten, verse twenty-eight. We should all remember that. He continues counsel by asserting that our heavenly Father's eye is on the sparrows and his values as more than many sparrows. That's the next verse, chapter nine of chapter ten of Matthew. The ten days in Revelation two ten may refer to ten persecutions that began with Nero and ended with diosolation. That was a hard word to say, I guess. <laughs> At the end of the third century, Christians are not promised to be kept from persecution, but we are kept in or through persecution. And that's true. We we pray that you don't take us out. We pray that you let us live through. Jesus never leaves us or forsakes us. Therefore, we can say, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Means, and that's, and that's exactly right. It's like, you know, God, he's not going to protect our body. He's going to protect our soul. That's way more important than a body. Jesus promises the crown of life to those who remain loyal. Those who stick to the end of tribulation is what they're saying. That's what the Bible is saying. Is those who stick to the end of tribulation, no matter what happens, whether you're beheaded, whether you're 
imprisoned. If you stay to the end, you will be crowned, given the crown, which refers to the wreath that is given to the winner of an athletic contest. But we know we know it doesn't mean a physical, like you know, trophy or not. Uh, but at the end of one's life, race in a, at the end of one's excuse me, I'll try that again. At the end of life's race, an imperishable wreath awaits all who faithfully serve Christ, even unto death. It means we are going to give him everlasting eternal life. Now on to verse twelve, which is the church of Pergamos, and things these things saith which he hath which hath the sword, the sharp sword with two edges. Um, now with Pergam, it was just let's just like if, if they, uh, Ephesus and Simra, Pergam uh, boasted a library. Well, it was wealthy first of all, but it boasted a library of, of about two hundred thousand volumes of books. But it rejected God's words and the wisdom of Christ. And I love their explanation of this. And uh, here Jesus uh, addresses the church at. at Pergam, and Christ commanded John to describe him as passing the uh, possessing the sharp two-edged sword. The Scripture reminds the church that Jesus wields more power and authority than any government official who wields the sword of justice in Asia on behalf of Rome. This verse uses the word um, "rumphian," rumphian. <laughs> That, that that that's a big word. Uh, <laughs> um, typically implying the large broadswords used by Roman soldiers. This is a weapon of offense meant to separate and slash. Jesus' words are able to pierce paganism and destroy the works of Satan. This echoes statements which are made as Hebrews four twelve, which describes God's written word as a sharp dividing sword. This characteristics of the church at Pergam prefigure these those of the church from AD three sixteen to five hundred. Interestingly, uh, Pergam means marriage. During the fourth and fifth centuries, the church was effectively married to the state. Uh, so it's reminding that it's reminding the churches that he has a two edged sword which can destroy everything. You can have either the the town, whatever. You can you can be at the state, the government, but I also can, and I can also take the church. I can also take you. What he's showing, you know, is that the, it's like it's really bad. So it's it's a really serious criticism that Jesus is giving unto this church. Um, I know that works in the world, even where it's Satan's seat is. And now hold us fast my name and has not denied my faith. Even in those days where Antipas was my uh, faithful martyr who was slain among you with saying uh, dwells. What they're saying here is that um, even with, uh, so his first off, his, what he is commending them for is that Satan did try to, uh, he was making it difficult for everybody to call themselves Christians and to uh, declare their worship for Christ, but even so, and he they, and even with the martyr, where there was a martyr by the name of Antipas who was killed, 
and to not dissuade the true believers of per, uh, per, per, Pergamum from worshiping and serving Jesus. So one thing, but then another thing he's also calling against this uh, church is um, that um, they first off, they ended up, they were committing idolatry, which obviously is forbidden. Um, and they were also marrying believers with unbelievers. And that obviously is a sin. We, we, saw, we, we didn't see it yet personally, us, but some people may see that from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, uh, which commands believers to avoid idolatry, and uh, not idolatry, um, which prohibits the marriage of an unbeliever and a believer. Um, so that's, so, um, that's what he's criticizing Pergam for. And it's clear that, you know, again, these are all churches, by the way. That's the one thing I remind yourself. These are churches that Jesus is writing to. So we got to be careful. They're referring to exactly. Um, what he's saying here is, is remember the, the sword that he told him he had beforehand. Well, if you don't repent for these things, I will come and use this sword against them that's what he's saying in the next verse in chapter verse 16 now uh, Theoreta I'm going to actually sorry we're in verse 17 oh, excuse me 18 now um, where it says and the angel, and unto the angel of the church in Theoreta write these things saith the son of God who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire and his feet are like fine brass and what he's saying here is uh, well first off I can uh Theoda worshipped Apollo, um, and, and Apollo was the, um, you know, I guess the son of the Greek god of Zeus, um, um, and it's obviously idolatry. Um, it's significant that Jesus identified himself to the church as uh, Theoda as the son of God. Likewise, depicting why Jesus depicted his flaming eyes and burnished. So he's comparing himself that Apollo is the son of Zeus. And Apollo is the is the god of uh, sun or fire uh, of the sun. Well, Jesus is the son of God, and Jesus is fire, which f the sun is made of fire. So Jesus is being very, very intelligent here, and he's being very uh, specific. He knows exactly what to say and how to get through. Um, but he's what he's saying is he's coming for there, and he, he will he stands ready to judge whatever sin he finds. And um, and nobody will be able to escape his scrutiny. That's what he's saying here. Um, to finish off the rest of the chapter, because um, it all touches the one point I want, really want to make here. Um, he talks about Jezebel, and Jezebel is that goddess, and he, and Jesus is angry at it. They're committing adultery, fornication, and doing all this great sin, and Jesus says that, and this is what's scary, is that he's going to take her out. He's going to take her out, obviously, but he's also going to go after anybody who follows her. You can see the important. You can see the importance of that. It's like you know, so we got to make sure that we're we're following the right person. We're doing the right thing. We because if we don't follow whoever brings us, uh, whoever we are following, us, not Jesus Christ Himself. 
we will be we will be suffering and punished just the same as the person we're following whether it's zeus or apollo whatever used be used uh zeus um jezebel as an example but we got to uh hold fast against the tribulation uh, the, excuse me the tribulation the uh well yeah the tribulations but temptations and he's going again to say that he that overcometh will get the crown of the gift of life, the crown of life. He will get to eat the bread. He will get the gift. He will live everlasting life up in heaven. He that overcometh the tribulation. Remember, we it's gonna we're gonna go into further, but he already told us that we we're gonna be imprisoned. We're gonna see. We might even suffer physical death. We may even suffer physical death during the tribulation, during the time of the end of Christ and all that. It's referring to. We got to overcome it. We got to not be fearful. We got we cannot be fearful. We have to stay strong. For Jesus, through Jesus, with Jesus. And that that's what the Revelation's telling us. The whole thing. You can wrap the whole chapter up. We're staying strong in Christ. As Christ is in us. Don't fall to temptation. One one thing I want to point out is like, you know, even now, it's important I, I bring this up because even now we're seeing a lot of uh, temptation. We're seeing a lot of the tribulation-like instances. We're being persecuted. We're being pushed out of society as a whole. We're being targeted against. And you can see the number of Christians are going down and down and down. And people, because people, Christians are falling into the devil's traps, into temptation. When things seem too, too rough or too good. It's hard to stay in the grasp of God. But only the strongest and the true Christians will make it. They will go where they aim to go. We all got to strap ourselves in and take the walk and don't fall into the church. Because as you can see, Jesus, Jesus is complimenting the goods. Right? He's saying you're doing a good job here and there. But... I will come and fight you with this double-edged sword over the bad stuff. We see that in, in, in Ezekiel chapter 3, where he says that some, your, unrighteousness is, your righteousness is forgotten by your unrighteousness. He's telling us that our sin takes away our good deeds. We see that in Matthew chapter 7. Where he says, be gone from me, ye that do iniquity. They said, Don't we, haven't we done good deeds in your name? Haven't we cast out demons? He says, yeah, but well, you sinned and you didn't repent. Be gone. It's all, people don't realize, and Jesus, you can ima I can imagine Jesus just sitting down, like, you know, thinking like, maybe like in a, in like on, on a mountain or something. That's where you see him a lot of times preaching, just, talking to John and saying like you know and it, like you feel the frustration because 
every one of Jesus' teachings, you can see him, especially when he gets closer to his crucifixion. Like he see his crucifixion, he starts warning them of the crucifixion. Like our time's coming up, but also the seriousness of following God and of the life of the world to come. He's drawing, he's dropping what what the gamers call them, Easter eggs or clues, hints, pieces of the puzzle. And us Christians are picking them up and we're putting them together and we're gonna we're living by them. It's tough. It's gonna be a tough top tough time. We're there's gonna be times where we're not gonna wanna stick with it. We're gonna be like, you know what? You know, Jesus may not mean for it to be this way. Jesus, I, don't, I, I think Jesus is saying something else here. You know, obviously Jesus isn't against it. You know, I'll just repent for this later. Or a big one they always hear, I have my own relationship with God. I feel bad for those people. I pray for those people. Because those people are the ones that are, that are falling down and are not going to make it. It's tough. Time is getting so, so serious. Time is getting super serious, man. And we cannot risk losing it all. We can't risk it. That's why this episode is 40-something minutes long. That's why you, you, you'll see my videos when I make mistakes. I don't edit anything. I don't go back and take out, take out all the uhs or mispronounce this wrong. No. I pause it to get a collection to go to the next verse and, you know, sometimes skim it through um, uh, verses I want to pick out. I don't edit. I'm like, why is that important? Well, it's because we ha- it's, it's time is too serious. Time is too serious to start focusing on the little stuff he says ah so many times he's not professional I want to listen to him I don't edit anything I can only give you a word and I'm human just like you I make mistakes just as much but me creating this podcast does, does not mean I'm any better than any of you we're all equal and that's exactly what Jesus is saying just because you call yourself a pastor or apostles calling themselves apostles doesn't mean you are one. You've got to live your life as what you what you are. That's human. But as a human, and as a Christian more importantly, we need to get straight with God. You know, and that's important. That's important. If we don't get straight with God, everything we do in life is doomed. Everybody's like, well, what am I going to do in life? Oh, I'm getting older. What am I going to do with life? You know, what are they going to do? What, what, are they going to go to college? Are they going to go? Why, why are you worried about all that? You really should be worried. Is what I'm doing right now acceptable to God? Am I on the path of light or of darkness? If I was to die right now, where would I be called? That's what you need to ask yourself. People are dying. I'm going to say it right. I'm going to say it 
so blatantly. People are dying every day, younger and younger, more and more. Once we take our last breath, it is too late. There's no fit, no, no pleading up on God like we do with our parents when we were children. Or our children do with us. There's no, oh, please, God, please forgive me second chance. No, your chance is here and right now. Stop worrying about garbage. Everything will come as it is. What we need to do is focus on ourselves. And once we are on the path of light, we need to save as much people as we possibly can. Because it's too tough right now. It's too serious. I, you know, I just spent the last five minutes talking about seriousness because of how passionately and strong I know through the warnings that we're reading and getting and receiving from Jesus Christ himself through the Holy Bible. A lot of the tribulations you see is already happening. A lot of the signs and warnings that we're getting, we, we're not going to get an exact time of if this happens, well, tomorrow... You know the end of the world's coming. No. He says you're gonna see signs that it's that it's coming. You're gonna be able to hear the jump from afar. You're not gonna get okay, well it's gonna be here tomorrow. But you know it's in the proximity because of what's happening. Look at all the natural disasters happening. The big fire from Canada. All these forest fires, especially like last year on like California and stuff. Look 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 why. Look, I want to point this out, and I was thinking about this with a good friend of mine, is look where the fires are occurring. These huge wildlife fires. <coughs> look where they're occurring. California. California is huge in the LGBTQ and um, immortality and immorality and stuff, right? Canada is the same thing. Yes, I was about to say Canada. <laughs> Canada is the same thing. On uh, gender identity and letting children go through sex change operations and hormone treatments and all that stuff. Look, if a secular person will be, oh well, you know the the the, the, the wind was dry and you know the there was perfect temperatures. Blah, 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 blah. But as a Christian, I'm saying that's God saying, "Open your eyes," and He's not saying, "Open your eyes" for the. Um, non-believers because he already knows the non-believers aren't going to believe and they're already going to go after the scientific explanations and reasons he's opening the eyes of those who follow him he's giving us a look focus look what's going on that's what he's doing he's warning us so let's consider ourselves warned but anyways I really want to thank everybody um, so much for returning to the, uh, the Christians United Ministry. I really, really, really enjoy doing this podcast, even though I could. I really want to get back on track. Um, so let's just pray that I'm able to do so. Um, I just have so much going on with my children and my job, and I'm also in college, and I'm also uh, heavily involved in church. So it's just a little, you know, I only get like four or five hours of sleep a night, but I am, however, committed to this podcast. You know, we're so far in, 
Um, so let's all work together to keep ourselves on the path of light. I, my, my name is Travis. This has been Christians United, Christians United Ministry. God be with you.